This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend. We're back in action right now. And we open up really with some sad news. Uh, Colin Powell, this is stunning, has passed away at the age of 84 from complication from COVID-19. Uh, we did not know he went in, but he passed away at Walter Reed. Uh, the family has come out with statements. This just happened. Probably we got word of it about 810 uh, this morning, Eastern time. Uh, here's a statement from President George W. Bush. He was the first cabinet secretary that uh, that uh, that Bush would name after he won the 2000 election. He said, Laura and I are deeply saddened by the death of Colin Powell. Great public service, starting with the time as a soldier during Vietnam. Many presidents relied on the general's experience, uh, counsel and experience. He was such a favorite of presidents that he earned the Presidential Medal of Freedom twice. He was highly respected at home and abroad and most important. Colin was a family man and a friend. Laura and I send Alma and their three children our sincere condolences as they remember the life of a great American. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think it hurts your credibility at all that you won't accept the findings of the FBI in this particular case? I'm prepared to accept that not everything in the dossier is 100% accurate. You think so? Christopher Steele speaks, and he wants this dossier to be read and heard. Really? Uh, Doubling down on your fictional document that helped hamstring a presidency and hurt our country? You'll hear his side of the story, how how he went along with all of it, and how that combines with the Hunter Biden laptop story that was sidelined, and what Donald Trump said all along. He was true on both counts. Fake news? And it was uh, actually insincere that they no one believed outside the New York Post and Fox News that that laptop wasn't real. All combined to hurt President Trump. Number two. I think that uh, there's a recognition among Democrats that failure on both of these is truly not an option. There's more. There's actually more at stake than even the fundamentals of what are in these bills. It's really the success or failure of the Biden presidency. So far, circle failure. Dying. That's what's happening to the cradle-to-grave spending bills Biden's proposed to pass as his own party tears each other's eyes out while the president walks the beaches of Delaware. And what would it mean for the Virginia governor race, the midterms, and your wallet? Number one. You have the the supply dislocations. You have uh, labor shortages. Now you have inflation. Uh, This is a really bad sign of things to come. But again, the Democrats are living in a fantasy world. They're denying that reality. Yeah, but uh, the reality we're living in, economy struggling everywhere, affecting just about all of you somewhere as the supply chain bottlenecks, tankers I sit idle, and trucks truckers need drivers. Uh, they are filled, but no one to drive. We're about 60,000 truck drivers short in this country. Uh, it's amazing. 
Um, meanwhile, I, I'm just going to talk about the, the big story right now and get to all those other ones, which are equally big, but this is breaking, and that's the passing of George uh, Colin Powell. We know he was a big credit, uh, critic of Donald Trump. He was a big critic of Hillary Clinton, too. And we know it, that he hasn't voted for a Republican probably since 2004 when he voted for George W. Bush. He uh, joined that administration in 2000. But he thought about running for president himself. He had 70 percent approval rating. He most likely would have won easily. But he decided not to. Evidently, he said, I just don't feel the calling. But then when he um, left the administration in 2004, they decided to have Condoleezza Rice there. He was the first African-American secretary of state. He felt as though the president picked Rumsfeld over him, and he was kind of bitter about that. And that's fine. He wrote a leadership book, a a couple of them. They all became bestsellers. And then he became a confidant of Barack Obama. And he certainly was going to vote for Donald Trump. He was one of his biggest critics. John Meacham. Uh, an esteemed historian, put it in perspective, cut one. It was Dick Cheney uh, and who suggested and helped push for uh, George H.W. Bush to bring Powell back uh, to uh, be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, he, he, that was the beginning of a kind of George Marshall-like career because he was in many ways the architect of uh, – of the first Gulf War victory, which is one of the great examples of how we should uh, project force. Uh, And he did that. And then, of course, as Secretary of State. So there's this – and just to put it in a plain vernacular, he's a black guy who's doing it. And he used to say that uh, privately. You know, it's like, you know, I'm a black guy in America doing this. And that's a great thing about America. But he would also say it shouldn't be that notable. It shouldn't be that unusual. And here's one thing I would say. I don't care where you stand politically or how mad you might be that he didn't side or was a big critic of President Trump and his own party and didn't go for John McCain or Mitt Romney. That's fine. But you have to just say, born to two Jamaican parents who are first-generation immigrants, moved to Harlem, uh, had no political or economic connections— Found a way to go to CCNY, an esteemed college, yes, but the most affordable, true. ROTC pays for tuition, so he signs up. I don't know if that's the reason, but that certainly was the effect. And then he ends up going to Vietnam, got wounded twice in two tours there, and decided to make it a career. And he rocketed it up because people saw how smart he was, and he could maneuver his way, whether in uniform or out of uniform. He knew how to uh, he knew how to win people over, and he used some of those leadership skills in what he did uh, for a living. So that's great. Colin Powell passed away of 84. We'll continue to discuss his career. But I want to discuss what, how your life's affected right now by the re- residue of this pandemic. Now, if we, by the way, the COVID-19 took his life. This is complications. Uh, at the age of 84, it takes an esteemed American. He probably got the best medical attention imaginable at Walter Reed. But complications with COVID-19, and he was fully vaccinated. There's a subplot story there. Now, I want to get to the bottom of it. That was affects other people. I'm not looking to point any fingers, but more and more people we see with breakthrough problems with COVID-19 get hospitalized anyway, like Colonel West's wife. And I'm just wondering if we're getting the whole story. But let's look at what's happening with our economy. Inflation is growing faster than any time in the last 13 years. There's a crush of cargo and it's just gumming up our national ports. Long Beach and Los Angeles have 40 percent of the nation's cargo. Right now, there are 70 ships out there that can't unload cargo. Some of them have been there for months. Inflation's up up to 5.4 percent. And now with wage increases at 4 percent, you know that math does not work. 
You want kid shoes? Up 12%. You want meat? 17%. Newer used car? Up 24%. You want to get a gallon of gas? Pay 42% more. Electricity? Up 5%. This is a real problem, real issues that affect everybody. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what you, what, what you do for a living. This affects everybody. But not according to Pete Buttigieg. He sees the glass half full, fresh off three months of paternity leave. Cut seven. But uh, after bringing together the players, agreeing that this was a good approach, seeing the pilot launched in Long Beach and now being able to announce, as the president did Mm -hmm. last week, that L.A. is also going 24-7, we've got major progress on that front. Uh, Wow, fantastic. So we're making progress shipping, but we're not moving anything. The supply chain is challenging. What have we done to forecast this ahead of time? And now, everyone, your big advice is go shopping earlier. I'm pretty sure that's pretty bad news. I don't really think going shopping earlier online or in person is really the answer. I'm not worried about our holiday season. I'm worried about the overall health of our economy. One's one day, and I know it helps our economy too. And one is basically the entire three years. If we can't get our stuff to port, that's a major problem. We can't get our stuff out of port. That's a major problem. And keep in mind, China's a mess economically. They're having all types of problems, even keeping the lights on there with the housing bubble. And we'll talk about that again, too, because the flip side of this are more belligerent than ever. Here's more from Pete Buttigieg. Cut two. Cut eight. Part of what's happening isn't just the supply side. It's the demand side. Demand is off the charts. Retail sales are through the roof. And if you think about those images of uh, ships, for example, waiting at anchor on the West Coast, you know, every one of those ships uh, is full of record amounts of goods that Americans are buying uh, because demand is up, because income is up, uh, because the president has successfully guided this economy out of the teeth of a terrifying recession. Okay, let me just say this. He has not successfully guided us anywhere. We all know the difference. Your job as Secretary of Transportation after three months off for paternity leave is to sell it. I get it. But you should not you should not tell us don't believe our eyes. Don't believe our eyes that the shelves are empty. Don't believe our eyes that the barges sit there unable to be unloaded. Don't believe our eyes that we're 60 to 80,000 truck drivers short in our country. And you're saying this is a good thing because we can go online and hit and fill up our uh, our baskets and then hit send when we place the order. That's not good news. And nothing about the president shows urgency. He disappears all the time, never takes any questions. His speeches are all about getting vaccinated as he squints his way through a teleprompter speech. I would love to say different, and I would say different. If Joe Manchin was president, listen, I think Bush, Trump would have done a better job. But if he was running against Joe Manchin, we'd be center left. As opposed to center way left, like Bernie Sanders, who mysteriously Joe Biden beat, even though he was a much better campaigner. But his ideas are terrible. But we're stuck with Bernie Sanders' ideas. I thought Carol Markowitz put it extremely well in the New York Post. He said, uh, she said this. In September, the president took a weekend beach trip as the disaster on our southern border blew up to 14,000 Haitian migrants camped out on the Del Rio Bridge in Texas. A U.S. pullout from Afghanistan turned to an unmitigated disaster. The president disappears, servicing later to claim it was an enormous success. Remember, he didn't even call our allies to tell them what was happening, didn't return calls from Boris Johnson. Now, as Americans start to worry about stocking their cupboards, uh, cupboards and buying Christmas presents, Biden goes more than one week refusing to any questions at all. 
sorry, but this is unacceptable. No matter who is president, maybe we should have known, after all, that Biden hid in his basement for much of his presidency and his aides routinely called early lids on uh, his press availability, telling the press the candidate would be unavailable for that day, but he wasn't president then. Now he is. Not only is he not Donald Trump filling up the news cycle, he's not even the president, so there's nobody to fill up the news cycle. I'm going to take a time out, and I'll take some of your calls and reflections on this. I also want you to hear some of this Christopher Steele stuff. So if you didn't watch This Week with George Stephanopoulos, and you don't go to his biography, his documentary on Hulu, you probably didn't miss this. But the infamous spy that they bestowed on us in many ways, this whole Russian hoax scandal, now is defending the dossier. You're not going to believe how he does it in his own words. That story coming your way. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. One of the greatest leaders that we have ever witnessed. Um, Alma lost a great husband. And the family lost a tremendous father. And I lost uh, a tremendous personal friend and mentor. Uh, He has been my mentor for a number of years. Uh, He always made time for me. And I could always go to him with, with tough issues. He always had great, uh, great counsel. We, we will certainly miss him. Yeah, and that was uh, the Secretary of Defense, Austin. Uh, I believe first African-American Secretary of Defense. And he's talked about General Colin Powell, who will be going into plain clothes, much like Secretary Austin has done, and then served as a cabinet secretary. A little bit different. There was a little bit more of a gap for Colin Powell when he lost the, left the uniform and became Secretary of State. Uh, Austin really went into retirement for a year and then and then went right into this position, got a special exemption. Robert Charles was former assistant secretary of state under him. He joined me this morning on Fox and Friends, joined us this morning on Fox and Friends. And here's what he said about the man he knew cut for. 
This was probably one of the greatest men to live during my lifetime. Uh, he was both a good and great man uh, in the sense I sat with him every day for 450 days. He never was different from the way that you just described him in public, uh, except that he had a great sense of humor. Uh, he deeply cared about people. I think the magic or the trick to his leadership, as it was to others that have, have been great leaders, is that he really, he was a friend to all. Uh, he, he, he did not take things personally. Uh, that was probably one of the ways that he got to the points in life that he got to. But he was an incredibly compassionate person. He cared about everyone. Yeah, uh, and he did. But, you know, he battled. He definitely made his opinion known. He was a, a vehemently anti-Trump. He was not for Hillary Clinton. He did not go for John McCain. He wanted to go with Barack Obama, and it was major news when he decided to do that. And in 2012, won for President Obama to get reelected again. You know, there was thought that he might even join the Obama administration. It was Secretary of Gates that stayed over, and they thought that maybe he'll come back. But he's like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. And thankfully, I believe he was able to become a coveted keynote speaker and able to make some money because when you're in leadership, if you do it uh, on the upstanding way like he did, you don't make much money your entire career. You don't become rich in the military. Uh, that could be happening because you become a sort of a leader and corporate spokesperson. John Meacham, uh, more from him, cut to. General Powell, I think, represents the best of what the country can be. Uh, his trajectory, uh, based on merit, based on skill, uh, something he wrote about, something he talked about. He titled his memoir, uh, American Journey. And in many ways, his capacities uh, to rise, to shape history, represent uh, the best of, of what we should be. And he saw uh, the, that those possibilities, the, the country that, that, that had made his life possible, fading uh, in these, these recent years. Yeah, I mean, he, he thought that Donald Trump was going to be a disastrous president. In his mind, it was. Uh, you saw Secretary of Defense Gates point out last night, former Secretary of State Gates, uh, point out that Donald Trump, he said, did was, his instincts were right on, on uh, China. But he said he didn't like the fact that Donald Trump was against the institutions, the institutions of government. He was always pushing that. Some of that's some of the main reasons why you guys liked him, uh, Donald Trump, because he would push the institutions. But that would go against people like Gates and people like uh, people like uh, Colin Powell, who has passed away at the age of 84. You know, this was sudden because it, it seems like it was sudden. He was at Walter Reed, passed away. This family made a statement uh, thanking them for the the. Uh, the fantastic care that their that their dad, their husband, uh, got. But the story is that this came. This was quick. I mean, we uh, Rumsfeld a few months ago, General Ordierno about a couple of weeks ago at the age of sixty five due to cancer, and then you have now Colin Powell from this era, and then you have the Bush family coming out with a statement right away because he has meant a lot. He served uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Bush forty one. Then he was the Secretary of State for Bush 43, but did not return for that second term. And he said, I'm fine with that. But he was just shocked. Even though he said he only wanted to serve one term, he was shocked that President Trump, uh, excuse me, that President Bush left Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld. And he said, you know, basically, if we're going to go, we should both go. So that's back then. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. But I have no problem, even in retrospect, going back when people say, well, they didn't get along. The fact that he and Dick Cheney were butting heads or Rumsfeld are butting heads, I really think that unless it becomes out in the public and you're calling press conferences to condemn another secretary, I think it's fine. That if you are president of the United States, you want people to disagree. You want people to say, this is what I think, and this is my four stars on my shoulder, and this is my Persian Gulf War experience. And I think the the Iraq War, We keep in mind, if you, if you break it, you own it. It's the pottery barn rule. I understand that. And that was going against what Vice President Cheney wanted to do, who was also part of the pullout that stopped us from going in the first Persian Gulf War, from going in and taking Baghdad. And just capturing Saddam Hussein. They said, let's, let's not do that. Now, there's people who thought that was a huge mistake, and Bush 41 paid the price for that. And a lot of times people were saying Bill Clinton got stuck with this huge problem because Bush 41 didn't finish the job. They wanted to finish the job with 43, and that became complicated, to say the least. one 408 7669 We'll come back, take some of your calls and your reflections. Also talk about how this inflation is affecting your life. And do you think, like Pete Buttigieg, that this is a good thing? From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Right now we have 62 vessels at anchor in the nation's largest port complex. I think that number is going to be diminishing as we approach the end of the year. But in terms of the... Uh, issues with regard to the congestion in the supply chain, I think we're looking to mid-2022 for some uh, form of normalcy. But no matter what happens, crisis or no crisis going forward, to avoid the situation, we need to make sure that we continue to implement the 24-7 concept here, and that's exactly what we're doing here at the Port of Long Beach. Okay, but then you got to get some uh, some truck drivers in there, and the 24-7 concept should have been uh, in place because, I guess, 40% of all our shipping, uh, our imports come through California, Los Angeles, and Long Beach, which is very close, obviously, to each other. So, okay, get it going. Why did we need a big think tank moment with the CEOs of major corporations like UBS and FedEx last week to decide to open up 24 hours? Because it's a union situation, and the word is they weren't ramping up right away. So this should have been done almost immediately. Why this is? Why the president's getting another pass on this? You're not giving him a pass, but— the press is. I mean, you're not giving – most of the press can afford if uh, kids' shoes go up, if Social Security goes up 5%, if electricity goes up 5%, if food goes up 4.6%. But that's all part of the ship. Part of this is the shipping isn't coming in, the food, the clothing, uh, the apparel. Nothing's coming here. The, the electronics, nothing's getting in at the pace it should be getting in. Right now, they said on average when you ship 41 days from, um, from the time you order till you get it. Now they say it is down to 75 days till it comes ashore. There's a labor shortage of almost every step of the supply chain. This is a big deal. Senator Ron Johnson made his money in business. Plastics, believe it or not, knows all about it. Cut 19. What are your thoughts on the Federal Reserve saying that these are all temporary? 
Uh, it doesn't feel that way. You know, I was in business for 30 some years. It was like pulling teeth to get through a price increase. As I talk to businesses, not only in Wisconsin, but throughout the country, price increases now are just expected and they're being accepted. So it creates that inflationary expectation. And, and let's face it, we have all the ingredients for stagflation. You have the, the supply dislocations, you have uh, labor shortages, now you have inflation. Uh, this is a really bad sign of things to come. But again, the Democrats are living in a fantasy world. They're denying that reality. Uh, what they want to do is they want to push through this, this big Bernie budget, the entitlement package, make more Americans dependent on them, on government. And it's not going to work. It's going to hurt those very same people. I would think so. And I think it's hurting. Don't say that, well, we're going to raise tax on the rich. We're going to raise tax on the billionaires. Well, when you set up a situation when the dollar is so devalued to this point and you don't react to inflation, you tell everyone it's all temporary or transitory, and uh, now those prices go up, you say, well, I didn't raise your taxes. Yeah, but everything else I buy is up. Can't buy tires, can't buy gas, can't buy groceries. Without paying more, that means I have less and I'm getting less. Now, it doesn't mean everybody agrees. A lot of people, like the chief economic advisor to Allianz, who was on with Chris Wallace last week uh, on Sunday uh, said this about what's going on right now with our supply chain and where it's going. Cut 11. That's not a high-class problem, but there are elements that are high-class. One, massive demand for labor. So wages are starting to go up and are starting to go up meaningfully. Second, the reason why there's so much inflation is partly due to a lot of demand. There's a lot of purchasing power in the economy. That's a good thing. It is the supply side, the everything shortage, if you like, that is the problem, and hopefully that can be addressed. But part of this inflation is good inflation. Part is bad inflation. Yeah, I know you're a lot smarter than me, Mohammed El Elyon, but I'm not buying any things you just said. The good inflation, bad inflation. I I know I'll grant you this. People are ordering more, I get it. But the fact is that we can't organize our ships to come ashore, the cranes to be ready, the the truckers to be going, that you're sixty to eighty thousand people short, and now you're deciding to open this up to eighteen year olds. Just now you're doing this? I know it's up to the private sector to a degree, but is anyone working in the Labor Department, anyone working at all with, in transportation? At all. I want to fast forward to talk some good news. The infrastructure bill, which is bipartisan, but there's way too much green stuff in there uh, to make Republicans really feel good about it. The 19 did vote for it. Joe Biden wouldn't go for the win. He said, I'll agree with my left, and I'm going to combine both the 3.5 on reconciliation and do the bipartisan 1.2. The problem is he never asked his moderates, and they are digging in big time. Joe Manchin is not only not backing off, even though these negotiations are going public, he is digging in. And he is saying, I am looking at this uh, this deal that you guys are putting before me, and I don't like any of it. One Number one, there's got to be means testing. You can't just give people money uh, for having a child if they don't need the money. This is money that we're doing on a credit card. It's for people that are economically depressed or uh, oppressed or they can't work for whatever reason. And then when it comes to that and other uh, other aid that's coming across, there's got to be means testing. And he doesn't believe the federal government should be paying for preschool. That usually comes from the states. And with all this green energy destroying fossil fuels at a time in which you're in a global natural gas and gas shortage makes no sense. Everything I just said is logical, logical to you, but it's not to the people in Washington. He is finally, they are finally listening a little bit to Joe Manchin because he's making them listen. 
He says, I am not going for that. Cinema says, I'm not going for the 3.5 at all. So even Joe Biden said, I'm probably not going to get this. This is what he said on Friday, cut 20. So when I hear people say it costs 3.5 trillion, and be honest with you, we're probably not going to get 3.5 trillion this year. We're going to get something less than that. But I'm going to negotiate. I'm going to get it done with the grace of God and the good little neighbors and the crick not rising, as my grandpa would say. No, no one cares what your parents say. I'm so tired of hearing your same stories over and over again. Here's the deal. Reportedly, he not only, he, when he does meet with people, he never asks them for anything. He hears their side, he lets them go. Hears their side, he lets them go. It is frustrating everybody around him, especially lawmakers. So Joe Manchin is upset at the green provisions, the total, the dollars, the social spending. Cinema feels like she was lied to and didn't get a vote on the $1.2 uh, trillion bill that was bipartisan. So Joe Manchin goes on. They said, and told the White House, the child tax credit includes a firm work requirement. It has to have a firm work requirement, a family income cap at $60,000. Anything over that, they can wake their own way. So Sam Runyon, who's a spokesperson for Manchin, told Axios, Senator Manchin has clearly expressed his concern about using taxpayer dollars to pay private companies to do things they're already doing. That is just it. That makes sense. Look at what's, what we know of in this bill. Manchin also continues to privately tell colleagues the president's clean electricity performance program, a cornerstone of Democrats' plan to achieve zero carbon, is a non-starter. Thank you. In addition, he pared back the CDC. Manchin is open to Biden's $450 billion plan to subsidize daycare and offer free universal preschool. The people familiar with the matter told Axios, but Matt, he said, however, he wants to improve the stricter income caps on the daycare subsidies and keeping preschool free for everyone is not fair. It is already free for everyone in West Virginia and many other states as well. And the Democrats are upset because President Biden said, I can do all this. I can do voting rights. I can do police reform. I'm going to pack the courts. It turns out he can't because he has no majority. That's the key. His majorities are slim to non-existent. So what do you expect him to do? Call Rove, cut 22. Well, there's a high chance they'll end up with far less than they wanted to get. Uh, it's almost certain that they're not going to get what they want to get within the time frame that they're talking about. Think about this. The president said he wanted to get all these things done by December 3rd, 46 days from now. The debt ceiling improved, the, the government funded, the bipartisan infrastructure bill passed. How can you get all that done in 30 days? But the left of the Democratic Party understands that if they pass the physical infrastructure bill, roads, highways, bridges, airports, and so forth, that it undermines this free universal expansion of the welfare state where we're going to pay for the community college tuition bills of billionaires. I mean, so, yeah, they got a train wreck coming. They're not going to get this done in the time frame the president wants. They could get one thing done, but I think they're likely to end up with far less or maybe even zero when it comes to this expansion of the welfare state. And Steve, just keep in mind, you say, why don't you just take the win, the $1.2 trillion? I'll amend myself. I don't know why they didn't do it, but you know why? The squad said, I will not do the $1.2 without the 3.5, and they haven't budged. The moderate said, until I get a vote on the 1.2, I'm not going to vote for the 3.5. They were willing to negotiate, but so far, it's so low that Congresswoman Jayapal, who's representing the squad and the left of their party, say that's a non-starter. So it all helps America if this doesn't pass. Believe me. I want to do a infrastructure bill, and maybe some of the stuff I would, I would uh, live with But most of all, we have to go back to drilling oil and gas. We have to do it right away. The fracking's got to continue. The world is short of it. We have it. So let's drill for it. 
When we come back, Mark Thiessen tells us what's happening right now with both the things we just discussed, as well as reflects on the Colin Powell that he knew who tried to recruit him to the State Department. That story and more when we continue on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's a paragon. He's an example. He's in our generation, in the generation of those who lived and worked in the last five or six White Houses, anybody... There is nobody who was a better leader, no one who was more admired, no one who was more personally, um, I think, cherished. And, and, and that's the tragedy, is that leaders of that kind are rare. Uh, we won't see the likes of Colin Powell again for some time. And that was Robert Charles. He used to work with Colin Powell. He's a former assistant secretary of state, uh, a former speechwriter for George W. Bush, who is I uh, had a lot of interaction with uh, Colonel, excuse me, General Powell in his day when he was Secretary of State. Is Mark Teeson and Mark joins us right now. Welcome back, Mark. Good to be back with you, Brian. Hey, Mark. What do we know? Eighty-four years old, gets COVID nineteen, passes away, and uh, uh, passes away at Walter Reed. This is stunning. It it is stunning, um, and uh, no one has expected it. It's also stunning just because he's as as several people have pointed out, he's sort of retired from public life, so we haven't seen him for a while. Um, so our memory of him is not of him as, as an 84-year-old man. It's of the, the young, vibrant uh, Secretary of State and, and National Security Advisor. And so for him to uh, to have passed uh, came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I love his story. I think his story needs to be ex- brought up constantly. First immigrant uh, parents right from Jamaica. He ends up going through college at CCNY. And then go into the ROTC program. CCNY is a good, really good school, but it's also very affordable. No one's giving mm-hmm. him a silver spoon. No one's sending him to the academies. He decides to make a career of it. Ronald Reagan sees so much potential in him. Uh, he lo- really looked up to Reagan, it seems, almost every interview he was in, every book he wrote. And then George W. Bush, Chairman of Joint Chiefs, uh, H.W. Bush, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he stayed over with the Clinton a few years. And then he goes over with George W. Bush as the first cabinet secretary that he hires. How do you think that yeah. he characterizes his service with the Bush administration? So I'd, I'd, I'd give you two thoughts and two lessons that we can take from Colin Powell's life. The first one is um, that his life was a repudiation of the narrative that America is an irredeemably systemically racist country. Right. So Colin Powell joined the military in 1958. That's five years before the March on Washington and the subsequent success of the civil rights movement. And he played a critical role in integrating one of America's most cherished institutions. He became the first black black national security advisor, first black uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, first black secretary of state. Just incredible accomplishments, as you pointed out, didn't come from privilege. Family were were, uh, uh, parents were immigrants to this country from the Caribbean. Uh, his mother was a seamstress. Uh, he grew up in the South Bronx, which is one of New York's toughest neighborhoods. It was a lot tougher back then than it is today even. Um, he was a C student at City College in New York uh, by his own admission. Um, but he joined the military um, and rose up through the ranks and, and, and became, uh, you know, led a life of uh, incredible success. Colin, life, Colin Powell's life would not be possible in a systemically racist country. He certainly faced racism, uh, but he overcame it. 
and he didn't allow it to stop him. And he was a patriot. He loved America. He thought that this country was was uh, was worth fighting for, worth risking his life for. Um, so this this it, it, this this is a repudiation of the narrative of systemic racism that we're hearing uh, from so many corners today. And then the second lesson, Brian, is that the Biden administration really needs a Colin Powell. You know, he was not in line with everything that the Bush administration said. I worked for Rumsfeld. He and Rumsfeld butted heads all the time in cabinet meetings and and uh, and in the National Security Council meetings. But he was a dissenting voice, or at least a voice calling people to question their presumptions and 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 you know and and adjust their policies. And the Biden administration is having a Colin Powell today. There was you know the the whole Iraq Afghanistan withdrawal. There was nobody. In, in that cabinet that was presenting a dissenting point of view or, or, or forcing people to question their assumptions. And so every, every administration needs a Colin Powell, somebody who's not, you know, hasn't drunk the Kool-Aid and uh, isn't uh, necessarily uh, in line with what everybody else's point of view. So you have a, you have a competition of ideas. Yeah, uh, I, ju- I, I do remember, if I recall correctly, that he always said, I'm going to just do one term. But when he didn't yeah. come back and Rumsfeld did, he was upset by that, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was. Um, but, you know, I, I think President Bush was more in line with Rumsfeld's thinking than uh, than uh, than Colin Powell's. No question. Uh, it's simple as that. Um, but, you know, it, it says a lot about President Bush that he appointed Colin Powell and kept him in that job, even though he disagreed with some of the decisions he made. I mean, Colin Powell... Uh, gave his advice in private, and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, when if it wasn't accepted, uh, didn't you know, didn't make a stink about it, or it wasn't about him. It was about serving the country. But you know, you need to have uh, different points of view. Any president does from any party, from any uh, ideology, no matter whether you're Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal. You need to have somebody on the table uh, who's questioning your assumptions. Um, and challenging you to think through things, um, you know, and, and Rumsfeld did that, too. Uh, you know, they, Rumsfeld had the famous memo he wrote where, you know, all the things that could go wrong uh, if we went, went into Iraq. But but it's good to have, uh, you know, a, a, a competing competing voices at the table. Uh, and that that seems to be lacking right now in this administration. He said this was his greatest. I won't let you hear the whole thing, but here's a little of it. His, his greatest regret was his speech giving the case for the Iraq war. When them saying WMD, cut three. We have first-hand descriptions of biological weapons factories on wheels and on rails. The trucks and train cars are easily moved and are designed to evade detection by inspectors. It was an extremely uh, well-put-together speech. Uh, He felt good about giving it. It was well-received. A lot of the stuff turned out not to be true. That was not his fault, but he took responsibility for it. But also, it shows the uh, the the it underscores the fact that the Bush administration didn't lie because Colin Powell didn't lie. Colin Powell spent three days at the CIA going through all the intelligence. Yep. Um, you know, studying it, uh, hearing it. He was convinced based on the intelligence. He would have never given that speech if he wasn't convinced by what he heard. Um, this was the this was what the intelligence was at the time, um, and we made decisions, and the president made decisions based on the, the available intelligence. Nobody misled the American people. Like Colin Powell didn't lie to the American people; he told the American people what we knew and what we believe what we what we believed based on the intelligence that we had. Uh, so the idea that Bush lied us into war uh, would be saying that Colin Powell lied, and Colin Powell would never lie to the American people. Twenty seconds. Why he went with Barack Obama and he didn't go with John McCain or Mitt Romney. 
I, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. Only Colin Powell can explain can explain that decision. Um, you know, he, he was an independent guy. He he uh, he didn't like the direction that the Republican Party was headed, um, and he became an independent. And you know, free country, uh, people are free to change their minds. Yep, uh, Mark. Thanks so much. Appreciated speechwriter during the Bush years. Uh, was recruited. I watch you on television. You were recruited over to the State <laughs> Department. I uh, excuse me over to the Defense. Uh, you were at the Defense Department over the State. You decided to stay where you were. Exactly. All right. Uh, thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate it. Read him in the Washington Post as well as Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a sensational weekend. Bottom of the hour, former South Carolina Senator Jim DeMint. Tim Scott succeeded him uh, and has done a great job. Jim DeMint will be with us talking about the state of the Republican Party. Uh, the president, uh, President Trump, still still seems to be the heavyweight there. And then we have Herschel Walker waiting on deck. Sad news about Colin Powell passing away at the age of 84 due to COVID-19 complications. More on that, his life and legacy in just a moment. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think it hurts your credibility at all that you won't accept the findings of the FBI in this particular case? I'm prepared to accept that not everything in the dossier is 100% accurate. Really? It gets worse, though. Christopher Seale speaks, and he wants his dossier to be read and heard. Really? Doubling down on your fictional documents that helped hamstring a presidency and hurt our country? Yes, you will hear his side. How, how long we have to deal with that, I'm not sure. But how it relates to the Hunter Biden laptop, I really think, is the bigger story. All combined to make sure Donald Trump's presidency was bad and he wouldn't have another four years. That's why he said fake news. Number two. I think that uh, there's a recognition among Democrats that failure on both of these is truly not an option. There's more, there's actually more at stake than even the fundamentals of what are in these bills. It's really the success or failure of the Biden presidency. Yeah, that is Jonathan Carl talking about the dying. That's what's happening to both the cradle to grave spending and the bipartisan infrastructure bill. President Biden's presidency is on the line. And right now the moderates are not budging and the left wing are on the left wing. Number one. You have the the supply dislocations. You have uh, labor shortages. Now you have inflation. Uh, This is a really bad sign of things to come. But again, the Democrats are living in a fantasy world. They're denying that reality. And there you go. That was uh, Ron Johnson. The economy struggling everywhere, affecting just about all of you somewhere. As the supply chain bottlenecks, tankers sit idle. Truck drivers, well, they need drivers. We're 60,000 down. Joining me now, a man that wants to get to Washington and begin to fix things, Herschel Walker, Republican candidate uh, for the Senate seat in Georgia, currently occupied by Raphael Warnock. Uh, Herschel, welcome back. Hello there. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on. Well, first off, I just don't know if you had a chance in all your uh, passing with all the administrations you interacted with. Have you ever met Colin Powell? And if not, what did you think he represented uh, for America as he passed away at the age of 84? 
Well, first of all, I, I have met him, and I'll tell you what, he was an incredible, incredible man, and what he represented is a man that was an American. He was American not just by skin color, but he was American by just being a man, and what as I continue to preach today, you're not uh, black, white, uh, you know, Asian, well, you're an American. In the 1960s, you know, late 50s, he's in, he's in uniform, you know, it was before all the civil rights and all the civil rights gains in the 1960s. Born in Harlem, goes to CCNY, then goes into the ROTC, and then works his way up through the military, wounded twice in Vietnam. You know, it's never easy uh, in America to make it, but don't you think this is an example of no matter where you're born, it's who you are and what you want to achieve, you can do it? Can't we learn that from looking at Colin Powell's life? Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, you forgot that he was the first blight U.S. Secretary of State. And uh, he proved that he was an incredible man. And, and you know, I really, really, uh, I, I tell you what, I, I was honored just to meet someone like that. And I, I'm praying for he, he and his family because, I tell you what, America has lost a, a great person. Uh, we're talking with Herschel Walker. So, Herschel, a few months ago, you said, I'm going to jump into this thing. I think the number is $3.8 million you're able to earn. Could you talk about how you've been received and uh, what has it been like? You're doing something you've never done before, run for office. Well, first of all, you know, people ask, why am I running? And I say, look around you. you. Do people see what's going on? And you spoke about it earlier with inflation going off the roof. You know, crime has gotten absolutely terrible right now. We're teaching kids to hate America. And, and you're going to ask me, why am I running? I'm running because this is not America. This is not the America I grew up in. And things are going very well. You know, in five and a half weeks, uh, you know, we raised over – $3.7 million, which is very, very good. We're on track with the uh, with the left. Uh, you know, it's going to be tough, and that's why I ask people to continue to go to uh, TeamHerschel.com. Uh, you know, help me to get there to fight the, the left because, you know, I'm not just going to just, uh, you know, vote for things that's happening right now. You know, what's happening to this country is a shame. So – WSB carries us so people under in Georgia know, and we have a another we have two other great stations in Georgia. We're talking with Herschel Walker, Herschel, the President of the United States said last week, the former President Donald Trump, who endorsed you and pushed you to run, if we don't solve the presidential election of uh, fraud of 2020, our Republicans will not be voting in 2022 or 2024. Is that the right message? Don't vote if things aren't perfect. That is not the right message. I think everyone got to get out and vote. You know, we can't look at the past. We can't continue to look at the past, and that's what I've tried to tell people. And, you know, President Trump, I'm very honored that he endorsed me because he knows I'm the right man for the job, but he also knows Herschel Walker is going to do it Herschel Walker's way, meaning I'm going to go out and I'm going I'm to run for this seat. There's not Donald Trump running for it, Herschel Walker running for it, because, you know, I've done the things that uh, I think I need to do and I know about this country, and, uh, and I'm going to go out and fight for this country and fight for the state of Georgia. About 9% of the people when asked said, yeah, I don't think I'm going to vote either until it's proven that they've straightened it out. Number one, do you think this election law has straightened things out in Georgia? The one just passed that caused the Major League Baseball to pick up and decide to play their All-Star game in Colorado? 
Well, you know, one of the things the uh, governor has done, he's done, uh, you know, a couple of things to make things a little bit better with the drop boxes and uh, some of the other things that he's done. And, you know, there's no doubt we got to do other things to make it even better. But right now, we cannot, cannot continue to look back. You know, we got to go forward, and that's what I'm trying to do. And that, that meaning we got to stay vigilant. And we gotta we gotta look at everything. We gotta pay attention, but you gotta get out and vote. If you don't vote, that means you don't want to get involved. And you gotta get out and vote. And we gotta get our elected officials to stay to, to, uh, to pay attention to what's going on. Uh, I want you to hear. Well, first off, what do you think it's going to take? You're, you're about opponents. You UFC fighters, uh, Bob Sledder, Olympic Bob Sledder, as well as uh, one of the finest college football players ever, an outstanding. NFL running back. So you're used to taking on challenges you never did before. But when you look at your opponent, Raphael Warnock, what do you bring that he won't? Well, you know, one of the things I bring that he won't bring is I, I bring someone that loved this country. You know, you know, it's like right now, uh, can you believe that a lot of people are voting against America? How in the world can you hate the country you live in? How can you try to separate people? How can you not want to have borders? You know, we got to have borders. How can you not want to have law and order? Do, do they not want law and order? People got to have law and order. You got a school choice. Those are things that I want. How could they not want that? And uh, I think that's how I'm a little bit different because he's voting for all the things that are going on in this country today that everyone is complaining about, not just the right, but the left is doing it as well. Right now you talked about the supply chain. Look at the border. Look at what happened to Afghanistan. These are things that you know, my opponent voted for. Right, uh, they did. So right now the, the one thing the Republicans are trying to do because they won the Georgia Senate vote, and it was a disaster when the president came in and divided and said, don't vote for Governor Kemp. Vote for Stacey Abrams when he just said that about a month ago. And then when he came in and was so upset with the Republican secretary of state and governor, that kept a lot of people at home. Uh, and that enabled these spending bills to go forward, the $1.9 trillion, and now they're looking to jam $3.5 trillion. What, do you th- what did you tell the president about what went wrong in the runoff election and what would be different now? Well, what I need to tell the president is we got to bring uh, the Republicans together. We got to get back together and quit with the inner inner squad fighting, as I may say. You know, to be a great team, you got to believe in each other. We make we have faults, yes, we do. But one of the things that Democrats do, they do very well that they stay together, no matter how terrible the bill is. It's amazing that they vote for it, even though it's against the United States of America. Well, one thing that we got to do as Republicans, if we want to be great, a great team, we got to come together. And look at these bills and vote for what's great for Georgia, vote for what's great for the United States, and that's how we're going to get it solved. Here's what Jonathan Carl said about the spending bills that are making its way through the uh, Senate and House, and they seem to be stopped. Cut 24. I think that well, uh, there's a recognition among Democrats that failure on both of these is truly not an option. There's more. There's actually more at stake than even the fundamentals of what are in these bills. It's really the success or failure of the Biden presidency. Uh, that said, how you actually cobble this together is unclear. You know, with House Democrats signaling there will be votes on both of these bills. And it wasn't like a, unless the Senate's, you know, done everything on the, on the social infrastructure bill. No, there will be votes on these bills. So- so there will be votes on these bills. It's only because both those Senate seats were lost. It's even brought up, and they still can't get their 50 Senate. Is that the urgency? Is that part of the reason you're running? Well, 
a big part of the reason I'm running. And you look at this here. What people don't get right now, they're doing this slip of hand thing. They're making all these other issues come up, like racism. They're making all these issues come up, uh, uh, critical race theories, while they're trying to slip other things underneath you that you don't see, like the infrastructure bill. You know, they're talking about the infrastructure, but if you read more and more about the bill, it's talking about climate change. You know, what's wild is they get, people got to stay awake. And I think everyone in, in office got to stay awake, read the whole bill, see what's great in that bill that's going to be for the United States of America. I think one of the criteria, Brian, that we got to get back to, we got to get back to something simple that we all can agree on. The first thing got to be, do you love America? If you don't like America, we got nothing to talk about. And then do you like the Constitution? If you don't like the Constitution, we got nothing to talk about. Those should be the criteria that we should be looking at right now to have people in office. Understood. Uh, so, so Herschel, as you look at your run for office right now and the big picture, um, what do you, who do you think is your greatest primary opponent? Uh, wh- who are you uh, most worried about? Well, you know, uh, to be honest, Herschel Walker don't worry about anyone because I'm going to focus on my race. But there's no doubt anyone that has breath in their lungs can be a tough opponent. So all of them going to be tough, but I'm not going to worry about them. What I'm going to worry about is what I'm doing because I think if I worry about what I'm doing, I'm going to win the, the primary and then I get a chance to go up against, you know, uh, the, the, the senator that's there right now, and, I, and I'm going to beat him. I think the people of Georgia know I can beat him. They know I can beat him. That's the reason they're coming after me now. That's the reason whenever they send out in a letter to raise money, they're talking about Trump chosen up. Opponent. Trump may have uh, endorsed me, but he didn't choose me. I chose to run. And I think they need to understand that, that they're running against Herschel Walker. They're not running against Donald Trump. They need to continue to talk about running against Herschel Walker. That's who they got to beat. True. Now, uh, lastly, the one thing I would say is that Purdue uh, and Kelly Leffler didn't even try for the inner city vote. You did not grow, grow up wealthy. You did not grow up in an area in which they could say you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. What do you know about urban America, black America, that you could bring your message to the inner city in a way in which the average Republican has been unwilling, choose not to, or, or been unable to relate to? Well, you know, one of the biggest things I know is I'm going into the inner cities talking to those, to everyone there. I want them to know who Herschel Walker is and know what I'm fighting for, that I'm fighting for the same thing they want. They want law and order. They want uh, they be able to go to the store and be able to afford eggs and, you know, milk and gas. They want, they want those things the same thing as I want. And, you know, one thing I, I've been doing, and I've been doing it for the last couple of weeks, is going into a different place, having listening sessions. I want to listen to the people. I want to listen to what they got to say, what is hurting them, and that's why I want to get it together with my people, and we go fight for that. So are you, have you done that yet? I have been doing it. You know, one of the things that I learned by some of my listening sessions that I didn't know, I did not know that we got to have border control. People think living in Georgia that you don't need that, but you do because 70% of the drugs coming into the United States of America comes through Atlanta, Georgia. You know, I did not know that. I did not know that, and I said, so those listening sessions is benefiting me, and it's going to benefit a lot of other people as well. Understood. Uh, Herschel, if people want to support you, where do they go? Uh, I, they can go to teamherschel.com and then uh, do whatever you can to support me. To put me uh, there, let's, let's go out and fight the left. They're going to raise a lot of money, but we're going to raise a lot of money together because it's not all about Herschel Walker. This is about the teamherschel.com. This is about me as a group. This is about everybody. Herschel, do you still do all those push-ups every day? 
Uh, every day, you know, I, I'm staying in shape. I'm, I'm in shape to to go for the long haul. This is going to be a tough race. This is going to be a tough thing that I'm going to do. But I'm in it for the long haul, and I'm going to I'm ready to fight. All right, that sound like it. I mean, you've you've adapted to everything. You excelled at everything you do. I look out for anyone that doubts you, Herschel Walker. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you. Now, God bless. All right, go get him, Herschel Walker. When we come back. I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. We're still looking back at the life of uh, Colin Powell, who's passed away suddenly at the age of 84. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I am most pleased to introduce the man that I have selected to be the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. General Colin L. Powell. Colin Powell has had a truly distinguished military career, and he's a complete soldier. As we face the challenges of the 90s, it is most important that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff be a person of breadth, judgment, experience, and total integrity. Colin Powell has all those qualities and more. That was Bush 41, obviously, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You become first black uh, secretary of state, first uh, assistant national deputy national security advisor, then the national security advisor under Reagan, and would, in 1999, really face a big decision. Would he run for president or not? He said the more he thought about it, he never really felt the calling, didn't want to be Eisenhower, and probably would have been. If he had run, you got to think that he would have crushed Al Gore. Uh, We had Bush 43, first governor. He was a governor for six years before that. Not a rich political background except for advising his dad. So he knew Colin Powell when the first the the first cabinet secretary he picked was Colin Powell. So that is uh, where he was. And he served for four years and was controversial there. Uh, Bottom line is he was kind of bitter in 2004 when he did not wasn't asked to stay on, even though originally said I'm only doing one term. And then when he in 2008, when it came for him to pick a candidate, even though he had a relationship with John McCain, he picked. Barack Obama. And that really hurt a lot of Republicans. And then he later be so upset by what he thought was uh, Republican obstructionism, again, voted for Barack Obama and then would basically lead the Republican Party. A lot of people aren't over that. I am. I don't think it should really matter that much. I think someone whatever you feel, you know, for example, a lot of people are so upset with Bill Clinton and his personal behavior. They left the Democratic Party and they spoke out against him. Remember that. Um, here is Robert Charles. He joined us on Fox and Friends today. Cut four. This was probably one of the greatest men to live during my lifetime. Uh, he was both a good and great man. Uh, in the sense, I sat with him every day for 450 days. He never was different from the way that you just described him in public, uh, except that he had a great sense of humor. Uh, he deeply cared about people. I think the magic or the trick to his leadership, as it was to others that have have been great leaders is that he really uh, he was a friend to all uh, he 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 did not take things personally uh that was probably one of the ways that he got to the points in life that he got to but he was an incredibly compassionate person he cared about everyone and that was what he was like to work for uh he was a uh, wrote a few leadership books too you can find out exactly what he stood for when we come back we're going to be joined by senator jim demint 
put in perspective what's going on with the Republican Party today and what we should be doing as a country when it comes to the next election. Democrats want to turn everything on its head. Republicans aren't happy. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Part of what's happening isn't just the supply side, it's the demand side. Demand is off the charts. Retail sales are through the roof. And if you think about those images of uh, ships, for example, waiting at anchor on the West Coast, you know, every one of those ships uh, is full of record amounts of goods that Americans are buying uh, because demand is up, because income is up, uh, because the president has successfully guided this economy out of the teeth of a terrifying recession. I feel so much better now that the transportation secretary ex- explained to me why I'm paying so much more for everything. I feel so much better paying, I don't know, uh, 42% more for gas, 12% more for kids' shoes, 17% uh, for meat, all because things are going so well. Kind of a bizarre way to spend that I don't think a single American is buying. Jim DeMint joins us now, uh, former senator of South Carolina. Uh, Conservative Partnership Institute, author of the new book, Satan's Dare. Uh, Senator, do you feel better now that we we had it explained to us why we're paying so much more for everything? Well, you you see the pictures of all those ships sitting offshore and you think that's a good thing? Yeah. it, it's, a, it's a huge problem uh, when our, our system stops working. And a lot of that has to do with the, uh, the workers at the Port Authority, the slowdown, that they don't need to come to work because we paying, we're paying them not to. That was one of the most ridiculous statements I'd heard from um, any, anyone in government uh, coming from the Transportation Secretary. That was, it was hard to listen to. I know you're probably pulling your uh, hair out too. A lot of what I've been talking about when I talk about the book is just—it's hard to get the truth anymore, and we certainly didn't get it yesterday. Yeah, you have seventy, you have nine hundred thousand containers per month, ten point eight million this year, an increase of seventeen percent from twenty twenty, three times longer to clear vessels than ever before. Right now, we have seventy ships off the coast of California. Some have been there a couple of months. Now it just occurred to them to have the Long Beach uh, longshoremen. Work around the clock. Really? You had to have a think tank to come up with that? We used to have an average ship would take from the time it was loaded with cargo 41 days to ship. Now it takes 75 days. So everywhere you'll read, there's bottlenecks. Now, I know what it was like. We stopped. The world stopped. And that was going to start again. So if we could have foreseen this happening, at least could you tell me a plan you had that didn't work, let alone one that you're making up on the fly? Yeah, Brian, a lot of people are starting to figure out it's not just shortages in the store. It's when you can't get component parts. We can't make things in America. And we've talked to a lot of manufacturers around the country who are having to lay people off because they cannot get the parts they need to produce the things that we want produced here. So it's a huge a problem in a, and it, it's caused by bad policy and and the fact that they're trying to say this is a good thing and in addition to saying spending more money is a is good for inflation uh, none of this makes sense they're not telling us the truth they're lying to us and and Brian I'm afraid a lot of this is being done intentionally because the left is not stupid uh, and whoever's running the Biden campaign and it's certainly not him is trying to take America down a few notches, and um, we've got to push back. 
Well, I mean, it, it, something's really bizarre in that you have, he has 23% approval on how he's handling the border, 26% approval on how he's handling immigration. So he ignores it. Who benefits on the, in the Democratic Party for Joe Biden ignoring the border? Well, the Democrats, they are going to benefit, and they've seen over the years that they can dilute the vote of Americans by bringing in uh, illegals and then arguing for amnesty. And there are a lot of states now that are, who, are, who are pushing to um, let illegals vote, non-citizens vote. Uh, it, it's um, again, And they sign them up for benefits as soon as they get them here. And uh, unlike uh, 30, 40 years ago, there's sometimes no reason for them to work. And so it's not helping to create jobs. In a lot of cases, it's just lowering the wages for Americans uh, who who need those jobs. So it's, uh, I, you know, it sounds cynical to say that it's intentional, uh, but uh, they're they're too smart to continue to do what they're doing now. It's not working. Uh, we can expect hundreds of thousands more. If we don't stop this. So there's a huge dispute going on. You used to do this all the time when it comes to spending. I think someone deluded or told Joe Biden he's got this huge mandate. He does in 50-50 Senate, four or five seat advantage in the House. Everybody knows it. Uh, 75 million people voted for President Trump more than any other Republican candidate. He got 82 million votes, and that's fine. Uh, And 75 million people aren't really happy that they lost. For some reason, he thought I could do transformational spending. And his own party is not buying into it. This is what NBC's report, ABC's reporting, cut 23. But it's, it's not looking good. You saw Bernie Sanders, uh, who, of course, has been leading the charge for a big uh, social infrastructure bill, the budget chairman. He actually wrote an op-ed in one of the West Virginia papers going right at Joe Manchin, saying that by standing in the way, Joe Manchin is hurting West Virginians. And Joe Manchin responded with a blistering statement. I mean, Martha, I want to just read a, a sentence from this. I will not vote for a reckless expansion of government programs. No op-ed from a self-declared independent socialist is going to change that. So it doesn't look like Bernie Sanders' efforts to pressure uh, Joe Manchin have gotten him any closer to voting for this. And remember, they can't do it without him. So you notice there's not one Republican came up there. They're fighting with each other. Well, the the danger here for us, uh, Brian, is the Democrats often throw out a ridiculous number to kind of start the negotiation. And if they come back now to two trillion, uh, some of the the, the, the Republicans who've held out uh, and some Republicans may join them and uh, they may lose um, the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders. Uh, but when they come back with a two trillion spending bill and say it's bipartisan now, that's when we know we've been had. So uh, forgive me for being cynical, but uh, I hope the Democrats will continue to fight for the three some trillion dollars, which is really over five if you look at real spending. Um, and I hope Manchin will hold out this time uh, because not only the spending, but there's fundamental policy changes in this bill that will change our country forever in ways that I can promise Americans they won't like. Well, I mean, for example, uh, voting rights, nationalized, federalizing elections, that went nowhere. Uh, Packing the Supreme Court, his own commission said that wouldn't be effective. Then you have uh, uh, they were going to do massive police reform. That fell flat on its face. Then they're going to do transformational spending. There's going to be cradle-to-grave social programs, and they can't even agree on what goes in the bill, the total of the bill, when the bill is going to come up, 
And the weird thing is, Senator, they had a chance to get a win. They could have said, I have an infrastructure bill, and Donald Trump was never able to do that, and they chose not to. Does that remind you of anything you experienced when you were the senator from South Carolina? Well, usually it's been Republicans fighting on yeah. the, the, the spending here. And, uh, you know, I, I just think we need to keep the pressure up. I appreciate you talking about it because a lot of the Amer- of Americans who listen to the kind of mainstream media, as we call it, are not getting the information of how many bad things are really in this giant three-some trillion dollar um, bill. And even if they bring it back to two and a half or two, it's still got the bad policy. So we we cannot think that uh, Democrats are going to uh, bring this thing down by themselves. We've got to get Americans informed. Um, so uh, that's why we're here fighting every day at uh, CPI. <laughs> right. So let me ask you, what is, what is your take on Tim Scott? He takes over your Senate seat, then he won it. He's about to win it again. It looks like he's raised $8 million, $8.6 million. And they're talking about him as a as a presidential candidate. Does he have that much talent? Yes, he does. And he's got that much heart, too. I mean, he his heart is really in the right place. If you hear him speak, he, he's talking about the God and country, as a lot of politi- good politicians used to. Um, no, I think a lot of Tim Scott, and I wish $8 million w- was a lot, but, you know, they spent over $100 million to try to get rid of Lindsey Graham. Uh, I don't think they'll do that for Tim because he's so popular and it's going to be harder for them to go after him. Uh, but uh, I'm just proud to have someone like him from uh, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, he He's a good job, uh, does a great job. He's a great American and a good conservative. Yeah, I want you to say, tell me about why you wrote Satan's Dare. It's a it's fiction, not nonfiction. Why? Well, it's it, it, it's a novel, and it's a love story about couples dealing with tragedy and asking questions of why God would allow this to happen. Uh, but the whole thing turns into a debate on, is the Bible true? Is the creation true? Is the flood true? Uh, did Jesus really come? And so it turns out to be a defense of the Bible against what a lot of people are saying, that science disproves it, when in fact science proves it. But ultimately, the relationship to politics, while there's nothing political in the book, is people are tired of being lied to. They don't know where to get the truth. And if you want to know why there's a death of truth in America, you can look in the Bible and they tell us where, where we can get it. It all Truth begins with the knowledge of God, and that's where freedom begins. And so while it is a novel, Josh McDowell uh, said there's more truth in this than most nonfiction he's ever written. Uh, uh, read. I mean, I think uh, people will find themselves in these characters and these situations, and everyone can relate to it. So by itself, it's it's a great read. At least that's what I've been told by people who read it. But if we don't stand up and re- recognize that this country was founded on Judeo-Christian ideas that came right out of the Bible, how can we expect this country to continue to exist? So the book, uh, for me, the bottom line is it's a defense of the truth of the Bible and, and that God's sovereignty is what guides this nation and our founders told us that in the beginning, that the countries cannot rise without God's hand involved. And so my hope is that this will encourage a, a, a confidence in the Bible, a revival among those who are who are Christians, and that uh, for skeptics, I hope they'll read it because I think it'll challenge them uh, to know what truth really is. So that you talk about the founding and what it was based on, but there was also slavery, especially in South Carolina, right? And now in New York City, they say, we're going to take Jefferson's statue. We're going to vote on taking Jefferson's statue out 
of the of the uh, Capitol building because we don't really think Thomas Jefferson had slaves. What do you say to that common argument? Well, well slavery was all over the world when this country was started, and it was not started on, on slavery at all. And very few actual American Americans owned slaves. Uh, and but it's, there's no excuse except that America is the country that helped lead the world out of slavery. And we solved that problem. We, we, we have pushed it around the world. And so we can be proud that that this something that uh, our founders, in effect, inherited, that the, the their descendants got rid of it. And so you can look at that. Well, America made a lot of mistakes, but we start we have uh, and done more to improve the world in addition to our own country than any other country that had ever existed. So we don't need to deny that we had problems or made mistakes, Brian, but we need to recognize that no country has done more to better this world than, than the United States of America. And should we have perfect people on statues only? <laughs> no, we wouldn't have any statues, and, and there are probably good reasons to go back to take down almost all of them. But even if the statue of someone I, I don't like, it's important to know about history and to talk about the good and the bad, because most of us have good and bad that are, are, that are, are part of our lives. And if we start tearing down our history because it wasn't perfect, uh, the fact is the founders who wrote our founding documents – created a North Star for us that continues to drive us towards more equality, more justice. And and that's why America can keep getting better. Gotcha. Pick up uh, Satan's Dare, uh, Senator Jim DeMint. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Talk to you soon. 1-866-408-7669. When it comes to books, the President of Freedom Fighter is going to be out November 2nd, November 3rd. Uh, I'm going to do a live signing, so go to BrianKillMe.com, find out how to be a part of that, get it out to you. Uh, December, on December 3rd also, excuse me, November 3rd, I'll be in Publicans in Manhasset, um, Plandome Road. Come down there, and I'll be down. Just go get online for tickets so you get your spot. November 4th, I'll be in Staten Island. Barnes & Noble really wants you to register so they get you in line early. They're in the, that's in the Staten Island Mall. Then Lawrenceville, Georgia at Books A Million, November 5th. I wonder if I have agreed to all this. Election Kentucky the next day. That's the 40th Annual Kentucky Book Festival. I, have, I don't think I've been to Kentucky. I cannot wait. Then over for a live show November 7th. Tixons are available at the Charleston Coliseum at Charleston, uh, West Virginia. I cannot wait to go back. And then uh, November 11th, I'll be in Salem United Church of Christ in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And Albany, New York, November 12th at the Book House of Stuyvesant Plaza. A lot of these places and cities I haven't been to before. I want to change it up and get uh, word out that it is not about 1619. It's about 1776. And in this case, it's about two extraordinary Americans who brought us through a most difficult time. Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Do you think it hurts your credibility at all that you won't accept the findings of the FBI in this particular case. I'm prepared to accept that not everything in the dossier is 100% accurate. I have yet to be convinced that that is one of them.
Christopher Steele decides to sit down with George Stephanopoulos. It looks as though, from what I can ascertain, that he reached out to George Stephanopoulos, who's got some production deal and did a documentary on the whole thing. Well, I want to know, and I could guess I can go on Hulu and find out when I watch it. Did you finally ask him, did Hillary Clinton finance the whole dossier, which we know almost all of it was fictionalized. They couldn't prove almost any of it. He never went to Russia. All this stuff is second or third hand. Cut 26. One big claim in the dossier, the FBI, according to the inspector general's report, and Waller reinforces it, is not true, is the claim that Michael Cohen had a meeting with Russians in Prague. Do you accept that finding that it didn't happen? No, I don't. Okay. Think about this. Michael Cohen has turned on the president in a way he could only dream of. Anything he could do to hurt the president. He says that never happened. Never went to Prague, never met with Russian officials, no offer was ever done. This guy asked George Stephanopoulos for a sit-down, and all he says is, I don't believe it. Has no proof of it. So Stephanopoulos goes further. Cut 27. Michael Cohen has completely turned on Donald Trump. He's accused him of all kinds of things. He's gone to jail. It defies logic that if he did this, he wouldn't say so now. I don't agree with that. It's very self-incriminating to a very great degree. Since he's gone to prison, since he's turned on President Trump, he's told every single story. Why wouldn't he admit to this? Because I think it's so incriminating and demeaning. And the other reason is he might be scared of the consequences. What consequences? He already went to jail. For what else is he going to go to jail for? To make make, it is nuts. So this guy who went around not only researching, coming up with this intelligence— not telling everybody that Clinton financed the whole thing. He went to sell it when the FBI and the American public weren't really pursuing it in the way he wanted. Donald Trump gets elected. He provides additional information. He helps push this whole thing forward. And for the next two and a half years, Donald Trump is under investigation. Cut 29. One of your main collectors spoke to the inspector general said that especially the compromise was word of mouth and hearsay, conversations with friends over beers. It was just talk. If you have a confidential source and that confidential source is blown or is uncovered, that confidential source will often take fright and try and downplay and underestimate what they've said and done. And I think that's probably what happened here. He's afraid? I think anybody that's named in this context particularly if they're Russian, has every reason to be afraid. So when pressed, do you have proof they're afraid? What do you know about this intelligence? More than likely, it is true. Even the golden showers, he says, is true. This guy's incredible. Realize how much damage he did to this country? People believed it, not anymore. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks Kilmeade. so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by Brett Baer and Democratic Congressman Ro Kahana in just a moment. We're also discussing the passing at, at the age of 84 of General Cohen Powell, uh, the former Secretary of State, the first African-American Secretary of State, seems to have passed away at Walter Reed. Complications from COVID-19. His wife evidently had it, too. 
Both were double vaccinated. Uh, his wife was able to recover. He was not. I don't know if he had underlying conditions. That's a subplot of the story more than anything else. It's at 84 years old. He had an incredibly impactful life, and he, uh, he overcame great obstacles to do it. Uh, born to first-generation immigrant parents from Jamaica, he was able to go to school at Harlem, went to CCNY in college, went to the ROTC program, uh, served in Vietnam, wounded twice, and then was able to rock it up through Washington and become what many people thought was the likely presidential nominee on the Republican Party in 1999-2000. Ultimately decided not to run. George W. Bush stepped up and named him his first cabinet secretary, which was secretary of state. We'll talk about all that and more, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think it hurts your credibility at all that you won't accept the findings of the FBI in this particular case. I'm prepared to accept that not everything in the dossier is 100% accurate. Uh, Isn't that big of them? Uh, We pretty much know that, but Christopher Steele, for some reason, is speaking out now and wants his dossier to be read and heard. Really? Doubling down on your fictional document? We'll discuss it. Number two. I think that uh, there's a recognition among Democrats that failure on both of these is truly not an option. There's more, there's actually more at stake than even the fundamentals of what are in these bills. It's really the success or failure of the Biden presidency. True. ABC's Jonathan Carl dying. That's what's happening to the cradle to grave spending bills. President Biden promised to pass as his own party tears each other apart while the president walks on the beach this this weekend again in Delaware. What it would mean for the Virginia governor race as well. The midterms and your wallet. Number one. You have the, the supply dislocations. You have uh, labor shortages. Now you have inflation. Uh, this is a really bad sign of things to come. But again, the Democrats are living in a fantasy world. They're denying that reality. And that is uh, Senator Ron Johnson. Economy struggling of everywhere, affecting just about all of you somewhere as the supply chain bottlenecks. Tankers sit idle. Truckers, uh, trucks need drivers. We're about 60,000 shy. Uh, joining us now, a man in the middle of that Democratic-to-Democratic fight, uh, Congressman Ro Kahana. He's a member of the Armed Services and Oversight Committees. And this week, he's going to be talking about oil and gas. And I hope one of the questions are, can you drill more because there's an oil and gas shortage around the globe? Congressman, welcome back. Brian, thank you for having me back on. First off, I keep here uh, on Cohen Powell. I don't know if you've had, you're such a young guy. I don't know if you had a chance to come run across him. But what are your thoughts about what he accomplished? Well, he was a American hero. Uh, he uh, led us uh, to victory in the first Gulf War. Uh, he was a trailblazer as the first African-American Secretary of State. Uh, he inspired so many young people to pursue public service. So it's a uh, loss uh, for the country. Yeah, and uh, who seemed to have left the Republican Party for a while. He was uh, also worked the Clinton administration, stayed over from Bush 41. So, Congressman, did you ever think we'd be talking in October about the la- uh, about a reconciliation package that many, many people thought would be be uh, out there by the spring? Brian, no. In candor, I thought we would have it uh, done by now. Uh, We should have it done. Uh, We need infrastructure and we need the investments uh, that the president is putting in Build Back Better to to deal with the supply chain shortages, to build manufacturing, to give working class families a tax cut with the child tax credit. So we need to get it done. Why isn't it? Well, we have uh, 
two senators uh, who uh, have their own views. I mean, they represent their states. So we need to come to a compromise. I have said that the president needs to put forward what the compromise is, and uh, we need to vote for, for that compromise. Uh, as you know, I'm a progressive caucus, but uh, I understand that the I understand we have to compromise, and we just have to get that uh, done. Is it wrong to say that there are moderates in the House, so-called Problem Solvers Caucus or other moderates that also aren't okay with the $3.5 trillion and felt let down because they didn't get a vote on the $1.2 trillion and there was a Democrats? There were uh, a few moderates who were disappointed, but I believe that uh, the House will be unanimous in voting for anything that uh, ultimately – uh, the Senate votes for the, the mansion and uh, cinema and the president agree on. I, I don't think that the House uh, moderates will be the issue. The genuine issue is that you have uh, mansion and Senator cinema who we don't know exactly uh, what what they want yet. I mean, the White House is trying to get that. Uh, and then once we know that, we have to, to get uh, a deal done. Uh, and I agree with you that it, the, the sooner the better, uh, the, the longer this goes out. Obviously, it doesn't help the Democratic Party. Do you think that um, you could decouple them at this point, talking to your own party? Because you did have a win there of $1.2 trillion. Uh, You had 19 Republicans buy into it, and the Senate won't enter to the House won't entertain it unless it's linked with a reconciliation bill. Uh, I know what you want, but in reality, do you think it was a mistake linking the two? No, Brian, here, let me tell you why. I know you, you think it was. Let me explain. I, I, I don't think it was a mistake and, and why the president has said that they need to be linked. When the bill was negotiated in the Senate, uh, there was absolutely zero input from the House. Uh, we were told, our chairman of our House Transportation Committee was told, you can't amend anything that the 19 senators do. You can't put in, if you want electric vehicles, if you want any parts, if you want any uh, provisions uh, that the House wants. So you can't say to one chamber, you're going to have absolutely no role, uh, and now just go past what the Senate has done. If they wanted infrastructure to pass separately, they should have given the House a role, a seat in the initial negotiations. Interesting. So admittingly, that probably would have gummed up, and you probably wouldn't have got the 60-plus votes you needed if the House, I guess that was the theory, if the House chimed in, it would have blown up the Senate deal? That, that I think, was the concern, that if the House had uh, any of our wishes in infrastructure, uh, that it may have made it tougher to get uh, the bipartisan deal. But you can't go to one chamber and just say, okay, you can't amend anything. Nineteen senators are going to come up with this deal, and we just expect you to vote for it. I mean, imagine if it was the other way around. Imagine if there were 19 House members uh, come up with something, and then you go to the Senate and say, okay, you just got you have to go vote for it. It would never happen. I mean, they would say, well, we want to amend it. We want to have an input. So if the president wanted to start with just infrastructure, he could have done that, but he would have had to have the House, Pete DeFazio, our chair of transportation and others involved in the negotiation understood so uh you don't do you right now this is what manchin says he will not continue to private he will privately telling colleagues the president's clean electricity performance program a cornerstone for you guys uh to a zero electricity a zero carbon electricity is a non-starter 
Uh, he says uh, he's open to the $450 billion to subsidize daycare and offered free universal preschool. The people familiar with the matter say, according to Axios, Manchin, whoever wants to impose stricter income caps on daycare subsidies while keeping preschool free for everyone, as it is in West Virginia. Uh, Senator Manchin also has clearly expressed concern about using taxpayer money to pay private companies to do things they're already doing. That, according to a spokesperson, and Cinema is so upset that they're linking the two bills. Uh, she feels as though she's been lied to. So I'm not sure where that leaves her. But they do want means testing. It seems like pretty consistent with Joe Manchin. He doesn't want to keep with people that can afford school lunches, preschool, community college. He doesn't think the government should pay for it. Are you against this means testing? Well, I'm glad that he's against means testing when it comes to preschool. Uh, I think that's a, a great statement from him that we should have universal preschool. I also think for the same reasons we should have universal community college. There are certain things we ought to do in this country together as Americans, just like we don't means test first grade. But obviously the child tax credit, uh, it already is means tested. Now the question is, at what level? He wants it to come down very significantly to $60,000. Uh, it's at around $150,000 right now. Uh, I disagree that it should come down that much. I think that uh, working families and middle-class families should benefit from it. It should be tapered off at a certain amount. And the discussion with him and the debate is going to be at what level uh, should that tapering take place. On, on clean energy standard, I, mean, I obviously was very disappointed when uh, I read that he doesn't want that in. I guess my question to him, and I have a decent relationship, would be what can we do, not just for West Virginia, but for fossil fuel uh, dependent states, to make sure that they get more investment, more of the resources, more of the new jobs uh, to make it attractive so you don't have people displaced. And that, I think, has to be a uh, conversation uh, with him. Does it frustrate you that we have all this natural gas, we're capable of drilling so much more, gas is going up 42 uh, percent every, wherever you go, whether it's 550 in New York or uh, 345 in Montana, it's gone up. And you see what's going on with inflation, 5.4 percent. We can control energy. Is it frustrating to you that we're not drilling more? It's frustrating to me that the price of gas is going up. Uh, obviously, that's hurting people's pocketbooks. I was back home, uh, even in the Bay Area in California, it was four bucks and fifty cents in uh, certain places. So there's no question gas is going up. There are two things I would do immediately. Uh, Secretary Granholm has talked about uh, tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and that I think will help. For what uh, though? You just drill more. We could just drill more. We could frack well, no, more. We can I, get these pipelines going again. Because I think there's a, the long-term solution, in my view, I mean, we probably disagree, is how do you reduce demand for oil? One of the ways you reduce, to reduce demand is to have more electric vehicles, to have more uh, renewable energy. And, but the short term, I'm, I'm not saying that that will bring the price down in the long term. I, I mean, the short term, the short term, we have to have the strategic petroleum reserve and uh, pressure all back to, to export more. In the long term, I think we start to have more renewable now. You energy. should pressure Texas to export more, to drill more. Why would you want? Why would you want to ask Saudi Arabia for a favor when all you have to do is ask Texas for a favor or Oklahoma? Well, I don't think long term that we need more uh, drilling. Certainly offshore. I mean, California, we had a huge oil spill across right off our shore. I mean, I don't think we need more offshore drilling. I don't think uh, having more long-term drilling uh, is the solution. I think more, more renewable energy is the solution. But 
uh, I think in the short term, we have to alleviate uh, people's price, the price on the pump, and the Strategic Petroleum Reserve or OPEC would would help do that. Yeah, but that's in case of emergency. This is just because uh, of an agenda that says don't drill and don't frack and don't use uh, and don't use uh, and don't use pipelines. I don't. I'm not sure of that. I mean, my understanding is that a lot of the uh, oil and gas companies uh, have said that they were making less investments because they wanted to pay out more dividends to uh, their uh, their shareholders. Well, you're going to ask before. this week, right? And I'm I'm very curious if you get that answer. You're going to. What are you doing this week in terms of oil and gas? Well, oil and gas. First time ever, the CEOs are showing up in front of my committee, uh, and the purpose of it is for them to make clear that they uh, where, where they stand on, on climate crisis, whether they have in the past engaged in uh, misinformation or not, what they're going to do coming forward. But, you know, everyone on the committee is going to get to ask questions, and I'm sure this, this question is going to come up uh, in terms of the price of gas and, and, and what they think needs to be done about it. And you, and you just say suffer now uh, because you want to go clean. No, I'm saying strategic petroleum reserve and OPEC now so that you bring down the price of gas, but in the long term, you reduce the demand for it. You, you know, I mean, it's simple economics. You either can increase the supply or you can reduce the demand. Right now, I'm saying I'm agreeing with you. We have to figure out a way to short-term increase the supply. I think you can do that with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and the uh, and, and OPEC. Uh, long term, we disagree. I say reduce the demand by more electric vehicles and more renewable energy. You're saying increased drilling, and that's just a, a philosophical disagreement about what we ought to do long-term. Yeah, but one's in our better interest. We're going to ask Russia or Saudi Arabia to make up the d- difference, and they're going to get more money to do things that are not in our national interest, especially in Russia's case. But I want to talk about the border, if I can. How concerned are you that we're going to have as many as 400,000 illegals stream through our borders, let alone the gotaways, let alone 200,000 the week before, all through the summer? Was, you've never seen anything like this. How concerned are you that the president doesn't even care enough to visit or even have a meeting about it? The president cares. I mean, I, I, I'm a Democrat who believes we need to have secure borders and that, that we're a nation uh, that is a nation of the rule of law. But so you must be frustrated with the president. I, 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 I'm not. I think the president – here's what I think the president is doing, and I think where the president can, can do. The president believes that – we have an obligation, obviously, to process asylum claims under international law. Someone is rarely leaving because they're being kidnapped, because they're being, they're being raped, because they're being robbed. We are the most humanitarian nation, uh, the nation that recognizes human rights the most in the world. And we're not going to have someone who is uh, fleeing gang violence and not process their asylum claim. But it, there has to be two points to that. One, they actually have to get processed, so we need more judges so that they're not just cut into the country uh, if they don't have genuine asylum claims. And I don't doubt that there are people who are trying to come in for just economic reasons and aren't true asylum cases. So we have to actually process that. Two, under international law, you have an obligation to go to the first safe country, which in many cases is Mexico. But Mexico is not allowing some of the asylum uh, applicants to go to any part of Mexico, so they're in the most dangerous area. So we need to work with Mexico so they follow gotcha. international law and take their fair share of these asylum seekers. And well, my understanding is that's what the president's doing. Yeah, 1.5 million people, and he still can't go to the border. Congressman Ro Kahana, thanks so much. Appreciate it. 
Um, oh. When we come back, we'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Then Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When you're in the family unit among people who are vaccinated, I think you should just enjoy the holidays as best you can in the family spirit. For those who are not vaccinated, first, I would encourage them very strongly to get vaccinated. But if they're not, they should do what the CDC recommends. So Anthony Fauci still giving us all permission, whether have Christmas or Thanksgiving or Halloween. Why people still have him on. Uh, Chris Wallace had him on. He's a great friend of the show. I don't get it. I mean, I, I, there's nothing he says that, that benefits me ever. I mean, in fact, he's hurt the country uh, ex- substantially. And he's now he's telling us he's he's telling us well you could do this if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated he has not answered the question why is it that through the South uh, especially the SEC cities uh, most notably in Pennsylvania specifically as well you have over a hundred thousand people with these football games and there's no surges after no no mass can be found no one ever says let's go study that as opposed to why there was a surge three months ago in Florida. Now, nobody wants to talk about it, and I'm really not sure why, but cases are down in 38 states. I'm not sure why. Do you know that cases are down 60% over the last since September 1st in Florida? Why don't we want to talk about that? I'm a little confused. Are you? I'm always confused that we don't like good news. This Delta variant we've gotten on the other side of, and you gave away the secret. Look at the U.K. and Israel, you always say. Fell off a cliff. The Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. One of the greatest leaders that we have ever witnessed. Um... Alma lost a great husband, and the family lost a tremendous father. And I lost uh, a tremendous personal friend and mentor. Uh, He has been my mentor for a number of years. Uh, He always made time for me, and I could always go to him with with tough issues. He always had great great counsel. We, We will certainly miss him. Secretary of Defense Austin talk about the passing of Colin Powell at the age of 84. Suddenly, we got the message during Fox and Friends today uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. I don't know exactly when he passed, uh, but he was from COVID-19 complications. His He was vaccinated. His wife was vaccinated. She also got a breakthrough uh, virus, but she is okay. And the former Secretary of State has passed away. With me right now to put it in perspective and so much more is the author of Talk about historic figures. Uh, the book to rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. Hey, Brett, stunning news. Yeah, I know he's 84, but I didn't see this coming. Did you? No, no, no. It was stunning and sad. Um, really tough for the family. I think it happened pretty quickly. I think he died this morning at like 430 in the morning. But, um, yeah, he had uh, complications and um I guess had had myeloma, which prevented his 
his um, his body from fighting off uh, the virus. But um, his wife uh, bounced back, Alma, and uh, it's really really tough for the family. It's also interesting because he's such a figure in in American history, and you always think that he'd be he'd be there. Uh, I you know I go back to the time where he's chairman of the Joint Chiefs, but before that, you know I wrote about Reagan. In three days in Moscow, about uh, the negotiations with Mikhail Gorbachev, and Powell figures prominently in some of those behind-the-scenes negotiations um, in the end of the Cold War. Right, he really understood uh, missile systems. He understood army. He understood fighting in wars. And he, you know, he wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He wasn't going to the academies. He wasn't earmarked for greatness. But in fact, uh, word is, I did not know this until today. Like a C student in college, who went so. Coming from immigrants' parents in Harlem, goes to CCNY, which at that point had a much better reputation than it does now, but is very affordable and was barely getting by. But he ends up having this superstar career. Yeah, and he breaks through ceilings. Obviously, he's the first African-American national security advisor and then chairman of the Joint Chiefs and then secretary of state. Um, I'll tell this quick story while I'm thinking about Moscow. They're at the end of the uh, Moscow summit between Reagan and Gorbachev, and they're just getting ready to make this historic agreement. Everything almost blows up because Gorbachev is demanding the inclusion of a paragraph in the treaty that um, agreed to a state of peaceful coexistence between the two countries and and non-interference in internal affairs. Well, he's so insistent, and Reagan says – there's something strange about this. So Colin Powell is sitting next to Reagan, rips off a, a corner of his notepad, scribbles something on it, and Reagan looks at it, puts it face down on the table, and then he stalls for a couple minutes and says, the answer is no. And Gorbachev explodes, and they're face-to-face yelling at each other. And uh, everything's about ready to go down the tubes, and Gorbachev eventually backs down. And Marlon Fitzwater told me the story. And everybody files out of the room, and there's the piece of paper Powell scribbled on still there. And and Fitzwater picks it up, and it reads, that means you agree to never criticize them again. And that's what Colin Powell wrote to Reagan to change that dynamic. Nice. That was fantastic. That is great. I had not uh, not known that at all. But he looked up to Reagan. But you also remembered, I think you were at the Pentagon when Rumsfeld was there. And sure. you, re- you remember you reported on the stories about the friction between Rumsfeld and Powell, correct? Big time. Yeah, between state and, and defense. Um, there was a lot of push and pull, um, and it got tense at times. Uh, oftentimes that's, that does happen between secretaries of state and secretaries of defense, uh, but this one was particularly so. And then obviously he called it a blot on his career, uh, the the situation with the United Nations General Assembly. Uh, but there's so much more to Colin Powell's life than that. Right. But the thing is, doesn't that, as Mark Thiessen brought up, doesn't that show that nobody was lying at the White House? He went down, looked at the intelligence himself. He made that other reception, put together this brilliant presentation, sways the world because it was all sincerity in which he did. And it was all sincerity in which I think everybody believed and when people say, well, they lied about weapons of mass destruction, I go, really? Colin Powell would put his entire reputation on the line to write a speech to sway the world on that? Right, exactly. And, um, you know, that just goes to show, you know, where, where things were as far as the, the actual substance. But listen, um, I think you, you can go back as far as his, his highly decorated career in Vietnam. 
um, as he makes it up the ranks. And he was just a trusted kind of uh, voice, uh, hand on the till. And there were, I remember specifically, efforts to recruit him not once but multiple times to run for president. Uh, and he, he did flirt with it, um, but it was his family that that made the ultimate decision not to do it. Brett Baer with us now. Uh, so I got to bring you to the biggest story that no one's talking about, and that is it seems the collapse of these infrastructure slash reconciliation packages. Here's what Carl Rove says we're hearing. Joe Manchin's not budging. He's saying specifically what he doesn't want, which is the backbone of what the left wing wants. That editorial by Bernie Sanders has blown up in his face. Uh, he took out an editorial in the West Virginia newspaper to try to shake up Joe Manchin. Are you kidding? Where it went to a red state that went to Donald Trump by 45 points is going to be swayed by Bernie Sanders. Here's what Carl Rove said to Chris Wallace yesterday, cut 22. Well, there's a high chance they'll end up with far less than they wanted to get. Uh, it's almost certain that they're not going to get what they want to get within the time frame that they're talking about. Think about this. The president said he wanted to get all these things done by December 3rd, 46 days from now. The debt ceiling improved, the, the government funded, the bipartisan infrastructure bill passed. How can you get all that done in 30 days? But the left of the Democratic Party understands that if they pass the physical infrastructure bill, roads, highways, bridges, airports, and so forth, that it undermines this free universal expansion of the welfare state where we're going to pay for the community college tuition bills of billionaires. I mean, so, yeah, they got a train wreck coming. They're not going to get this done in the time frame the president wants. They could get one thing done, but I think they're likely to end up with far less or maybe even zero when it comes to this expansion of the welfare state. Do you feel as, do you think the chances are as, as small as Karl Rove does? I think I think it's starting to falter. I, I really do. I mean, it's, it would take a Herculean effort to get progressives to sign on to a much smaller, limited uh, bill. And and you know, it's boggles the mind why Bernie Sanders would think his <laughs> op-ed in a West Virginia paper could move the ball. I, I, it's it's almost like the people who followed Kirsten Cinema into the bathroom. It's, you know, it's just what kind of tactic is that in a red state that went for Donald Trump overwhelmingly? And, um, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like it. I think they tried that before. Kamala Harris went to a TV station in West Virginia and it, and it backfired then. So why would they think that this would be different? Um, we, if you publicly go out and you lambast somebody. There's nobody who's going to primary Joe Manchin. He's not up for election. <laughs> and from the left, from the left. And if, they don't, if they're not careful, Joe Manchin can wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm not caucusing with the Democrats. I'm an independent now. And guess what? It's Mitch McConnell is the majority leader. I think the New York Times editorial board called on Kirsten Sinema to leave the Democratic Party. Now, number one, I didn't think it was up to them. Number two is... Really? You wanted to leave and flip the balance? I mean, do you understand what that means? Right. I mean, I don't think they do. I mean, right. you set the agenda, you set the voting, you, you know, Mitch McConnell has a lot more power as majority leader than he does minority leader. Leslie, uh, on the Virginia governor race, I have not seen a poll that had uh, Yunkin even or within three, maybe you have. And I remember that Ed Gillespie got close twice, and didn't Ken Cuccinelli get close? Is it that unusual to have a close governor's race in Virginia? No. I, I mean, there's a lot of close races that end up being one point, two points. Yeah. Um, and recent years, it's sort of like, 
Lucy and the football from Charlie Brown. It's yanked away from Republicans at the very end. Um, and there are a few who won, namely in 2009, uh, which was another kind of harbinger for the midterm elections the following year. Um, some people say that that's going to happen this time. However, McAuliffe has a machine, you know, and he's got uh, a bluish, purplish state uh, that Northern Virginia is is usually heavy Democrat. Democrat. I think Duncan's doing better than anybody thought he could. Whether he can pull it off in the next, you know, two three weeks, we'll see. Yeah. Lastly, Kamala Harris did a recording for black churches. Going to go to three hundred black churches. Tell him to vote for Terry McAuliffe. And we saw Stacey Abrams campaign for McAuliffe in churches over the weekend. I thought, and educate me, I didn't think that was legal. I didn't think you were allowed to go to a church and campaign. Isn't that why they got the tax-exempt status? That is true. And um, we have to see what exactly they did. Was it in, you know, inside the church? Is it? Is it? Um, you have to see exactly what happens. But uh, that is a big element for, you know, uh, especially black communities, um, and and politics has been doing it for a long time. But you're right, there's questions about. It. So, lastly, Brad, your your book is uh, firmly parked at number one on Amazon. It's going to come out high on the list, if not number one overall, to rescue the republic. Ulysses S. Grant, the fragile union, the crisis of eighteen seventy six. You bookend it with today's news. The you open it up with what happened January 6th, and you close it with some of the unrest we have today. So what do you think the message is for people thinking about getting it in a time period that is really not heavily examined, 1870s? What do you think yeah. people could get away, take away from this that they don't get in social well, studies I, class in 11th grade? Yeah, well, I think that this moment in history, as we've talked about, is overlooked, and um, people could just learn a lot about it. But it also— is uh, these nuggets that uh, of our history that could help us in the future? You know, it it takes constant vigilance to to have our republic work, and we got to keep on working at it. And that's one thing Grant really felt was keeping the union together was his biggest his biggest mission. And um, hopefully, it's an eye opener. I think I've had a, a lot of response. I'm speaking at the Richard Richard Nixon Library tonight and the Ronald Reagan Library tomorrow, and. Um, you know, at a time when we see the passing of Colin Powell, uh, a major African-American figure, arguably some of the things that Grant did set the table uh, for the success of uh, generations after. All right. Uh, thanks so much, Brett. Good luck tonight and tomorrow. All right. We'll see you. All right. Uh, that is to rescue the republic. Uh, quick note, the President Freedom Fighter is now out. If you want to know where to reach me on tour, uh, please just go to BrianKillMe.com. We just set it up there. Just get tickets to reserve your place in this COVID environment. They want to know who's coming. Uh, and I just want to say for the local New York, I'll be taking my first two stops. will be in New York. Publicans of Manhasset uh, on Plandome Road. And then in Staten Island, first time ever, Barnes & Noble in the Staten Island Moore, uh, Mall. And then you'll see the rest on there. Uh, so go to President Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. No, I think uh, Kobe and Gigi have meant so much to our league. So um, the advice I got from Vanessa before the game was play Gigi's way. And I think we've done that. We did that all playoffs. And so I just want to acknowledge like his contribution and 
V said, like, if Gigi could play, she would play as hard as she could. And so I think that that was huge in our team and just us overcoming everything that came today. So thank you, Vanessa. We love you, Gigi. We love you, Kobe. And, and the one thing, Kobe, uh, of course, they're talking, that's Candace Parker on winning a championship, the Chicago Sky. Scott, Sky won the WNBA championship, but Kobe Bryant, of course, was a big champion of the WNBA, always working with them, always trying to sell them, market them. And his daughter was heading that direction as she was all set to go to UConn before a tragic passing in the helicopter crash. So let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, Janelle Bunchen throws Twitter into a tizzy with Tom Brady trade tweet. Get this. Uh, The supermodel from Brazil is getting on the troll game. She tweeted this out. Tom tweeted out on Saturday that he was missing the fall this time of year. Uh, so perhaps reminiscing about those cool fall days in New England after after all, he was there for 20 years. So then she tweeted out, is it time for a trade? Boonchin tweeted while quoting Brady's original tweet. The 44-year-old is in his second season. He wrote back, did I miss something? Brady tweeted in response. So everyone went crazy. Does he really want to trade? I personally don't overreact because I have my own life to worry about. If there's one life I don't have to worry about, it's Tom Brady's. Next. Uh, LSU's going to be moving on from Coach O. They're 4-3, and three, but two years ago they had one of the best teams ever. They beat uh, The Tigers beat up Florida for uh, yesterday. Big upset win. That uh, Last week they were trounced by Kentucky, but he is gone. He's finished. He's through. I'm sure he'll coach elsewhere. Good job. I know it next. I know this sounds like a sports report, but one more. Lamar Jackson set NFL records for most wins for anyone under age 25. John Harbaugh might be the best overall coach in the NFL. No matter what happens, his team is always in contention, whether they're rotating quarterbacks or defenses or superstars. Lamar Jackson, just been a fantastic quarterback. He broke the mark of 34 wins formerly held by Dan Marino and Drew Bledsoe. The only other player to do that. Essentially, the only thing Jackson hasn't accomplished in a short career is winning a title. He's led the Ravens to the postseason three times, rushed over 1,000 yards. The guy is awesome. Next. Michael Caine, the actor, is clarifying a statement. He says he is not retiring. Quote, I haven't retired, and not a lot of people know that, the 88-year-old said. One day after telling BBC's radio, uh, whatever that show is, that best-sellers would, be would be his last film, he says, I never retire. I'm 88. People are not knocking at my door trying to get me a script, but occasionally there's a part. I say that all the time. Next, sibling bullying linked to poor mental health years later. Research at the University of York find that children who constantly bully a sibling at a young age can push their brother or sister towards a greater risk of mental health and overall well-being. So it doesn't make you stronger or tougher. It makes you nuts. Shocking. Next, bullying can be bad for both siblings. Noticeably, the research also indicates that bullying during early adolescence, even if you're the bully, is bad. Exercising too close to bed is a bad night's sleep. No kidding. Concordia is working on this. They looked at the relationship between exercise and sleep quality. 15 published studies. The results show that everyone's sleep cycles are a little different. A heavy workload within two hours of your normal bedtime can disrupt how your REM sleep can get you to bed at night. Everyone has always said that. That does not surprise me. Next, morning workouts raise the risk of heart attack in men with type 2 diabetes. All right, no taken. Next, Scientists discovered the reason why women feel colder than men. Researchers say the perception that women often feel colder is an evolutionary fact. 
It's from the Tel Aviv University School of Zoology. It added that this is just the, it isn't just the case for humans. So why do females prefer the heat while males are cranking up their air conditioning? The study finds a real reason for this, and it's to keep them further apart. Interesting. Something else keeping men and women apart. And if we did stay apart, everyone would be in a lot less trouble. It'll be life would be boring, but we'd be in a lot less trouble as human beings. Thanks so much for listening. Go to BrianKillMe.com, pick up the President Freedom Fighter. You can get a, you can pre-order now, and I'll see you tomorrow on Fox and Friends. Keep it here. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.